0: Welcome to ERM Perspectives, the show dedicated to credit union enterprise risk management. If you're interested in hearing perspectives on enterprise risk management directly from the people who do ERM at credit unions, you've got the best seat in the house. I work with credit unions every day so they can have their ideal enterprise risk management program. I'm your host, David Seibert. Let's dive in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of ERM Perspectives, the podcast dedicated to credit union enterprise risk management. And I'm your host, David Seibert. And today I'm very excited to have Wilkes Harden with me. Wilkes is the Vice President of Lending Compliance at Washington State Employees Credit Union. Welcome, Wilkes. David, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So thank you for being with me. Thank you so for inviting me. Yeah. So let's just dive right into it. Let's get started by learning more about yourself. So, can you tell us about you and your background and your current role?
1: Certainly. As you mentioned, I'm Wilkes Harden. I'm the vice president of lending Compliance at the Washington State Employees Credit Union. I've been here about eight and a half years, serving primarily in the one of the compliance officer roles. I'm running the Lindy Compliance Department here. Previous to this, I was a compliance analyst at, a, at another credit union in the Southeast. And then previous to that, I was in the mortgage business doing compliance auditing as well. So I've got a a long history of compliance, regulatory compliance work um, experience, as well as uh, experience working with credit unions. When I started this job, I was handed the ERM program to Evolve for the credit union at It was in its infancy at the time, kind of Excel-based with a relatively narrow focus, but it was also like a hot potato. It was a new discipline that no one really understood and and had time to really wrap their arms around. And so it was rather like, give it to the new guy. He's not in a position to say, no, Mikey will eat it, that sort of thing. So that's how I came to to be an enterprise risk management program manager, if you will,
0: and a risk manager for credit unions. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. And it's always so beneficial to have that compliance experience. And certainly you've been in financial institutions for quite some time. So all great experience. And uh, thank you for the uh, give it to Mikey, Michael. Mikey likes everything uh, reference. That's cool. So how do you feel about it now that you got the hot potato and you were given risk management? I love risk management. It's one of those things that it turns out that I'm really good at.
1: You know, a compliance officer's mind falls in line with the type of analytical mind that's needed for risk management, for mismanagement work. And it's challenging and it's rewarding and it adds and
0: drives a lot of value for the credit. Yeah. So I enjoy doing it. That's it awesome. Keep me on my toes. Yes. Yes. That's great. Thanks. Thanks for sharing that. To dive a little bit into the ERM program itself then. So why don't you tell us about the program itself, how long it's been in place, how it's organized, anything unique about it? That'd be great.
1: So the program was stood up in about 2010. So a couple of years before I started here, it was an entirely Excel-based program at that point, had a fairly narrow focus. So it tended to look at things like regulatory compliance risk, physical security, information technology, and then just random stuff that came up in the day-to-day operations of the business compliance was a focus there as well. But it was one of those things that you had a bunch of people who had been running various lines of business across the credit union for a lot of years and had a really good breadth of experience dealing with operational issues bringing that operational perspective together and trying to focus that on what risks exist in our operating environment and i think one of the main things that really cued this up was Dot Frank Act passage in 2008, and trying to wrap our arms around all of those compliance changes, as well as a really heightened focus on information security in the late 2010s, if you will, or 2000s, like when that really started to create a threat to larger businesses. So that's really the nexus and the impetus for creation of the program. And since then, it's evolved into... What we have now, which is it's no longer Excel-based. We, we have GRC software we use to, to automate a lot of the functioning of the risk management program. We've also adopted the COSO standards for risk management. And so we use the eight, the seven COSO categories, and then we created another one for information security, separating that out from transaction risk. But we look at it through that lens, understanding that's a that's an established framework for financial institutions that works really well. And it's one that our examiners are happy with. So we're to the point now where we've got an established program that uses an established methodology and we embrace that frame when we're working to make sure that we're hitting all the benchmarks of that framework, the COSO framework really being focused on driving business value through risk management.
0: Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's uh, thank you for mentioning the COSO framework, especially the new release in 2017 really changed the focus to business strategy performance. And that was a nice change. Don't you think?
1: Absolutely. And it it changes the focus of risk from reactivity to proactivity. And that's yeah. the major change that I saw. It's not just about what's happening and how do we protect ourselves. It's what's happening and what's going to happen and how do we leverage that to drive business value.
0: That's great. So I have a question. Is there a department for ERM? And I know you're a vice president of lending compliance. So How does a lending compliance fit into enterprise risk management? How does that all work together? And what's your role in all that?
1: So I'm one of three compliance officers in the organization.
0: There's a compliance officer for the
1: front office who handles a lot of our deposit compliance stuff. There's also a compliance officer for our information security program. It's that important to us that we have its own dedicated compliance function there. And then I handle essentially all back office compliance. And then collectively, the three of us come together and we own everything else that kind of falls in between the cracks there. As a function of risk management, compliance management naturally rolls up into that. And at one point, the person who stood the program up, who was one of the other compliance officers, was running the program, and now it's on me to do so. At this point, my title doesn't really do justice to all the areas I touch in the credit union, and I think credit union professionals understand how this works. Um, You wear multiple hats despite despite what your title and your area of responsibility might be. There's a lot more that goes along with running a lending compliance department than just the stuff that's happening in lending. Being one of the three major compliance disciplines in the credit union, all three of us are skilled in this and all three of us could run this enterprise risk management program.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. That's helpful to hear how other credit unions are structured around risk management and how you're doing that with compliance. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And this might be, this may change as we start to march toward the that $10 billion threshold as we get more and more complex, we may revisit our structure. Yeah. Uh, for right now, it works really well for us.
0: Yeah. Thanks for mentioning it. So you're approaching $5 billion right now at Washington right. State Employees. Right. Yeah, that's good. And so also, we've got our we've got our eyes on that
1: three to four year yeah. kind of timeline for based on growth and everything to hit that threshold. And yeah. what does that mean for us?
0: Yeah. And as credit unions grow, they grow faster. It's an interesting acceleration curve. So, you know, what got you to five billion? you'll get to 10 billion quite a bit faster, right? Yeah. yeah. You look at credit unions, they, it, took, it takes the
1: first 50 years of their existence to get to 5 billion and then three, four more years, you've doubled that. Right? Yeah.
0: Just, it's amazing what scale can do. Yeah. Sure. And the last thing is, thank you for mentioning the eight categories. So it's becoming very popular now to start with the seven categories and pull out information security slash cybersecurity because it's such a, such a big area now. So thank you for sharing that with us as well what's something that you're particularly strong out in your erm programs or something you can walk us through to show that strength
1: a couple things the first thing that we did in 2016 which was which was groundbreaking for our program which allowed us to really socialize our work across the organization was the establishment of board risk appetite guideline statements most again kind of going back to what i was saying earlier most people tend to view risk in a negative way they have a negative connotation of what risk is and what risk means and the idea being, if risk exists, we need to do everything we can to it. Our board doesn't necessarily see it that way. Our board sees risk as one of those necessities of doing business and understanding the amounts of risk they're willing to take and how that translates into our business helps us do a better job of making operational decisions that are consistent with, that, with our board's strategic vision and focus and then their business plan. And so we went through an exercise in 2016 to establish risk appetite guidelines for all of the eight categories that we talked about earlier with a series of questions that kind of drive at different elements of risk that materialize throughout the organization. We, there's questions that address credit risk and liquidity and interest rate risk. And there's questions that address strategic risk and transaction risk, reputation risk, obviously information security, and then last but not least, compliance risk. Our board, we have assumptions about the way they feel about things. And they're a diverse group who comes from a variety of different business types in their careers. And we assume that because we're a credit union, we're extremely conservative and everything needs to be on the very low risk. And that just didn't turn out to be the case. There's an appetite to take some risks for the sake of member service and for the sake of growth and for the sake of success in our various programs and our ability to serve our members. And understanding that allows us to to take that assumption away and go, okay, as I'm making a decision in the moment, Where does our board want us to be here? We've got permission to take on more risk, so let's do it. One thing that I've learned in practicing risk management is that the difference between the appetite that the board gives us and what we do, if we're not taking enough risk, is opportunity left on the table.
0: That's a great way to look at it. That's a great way to look at it. So thanks for sharing that.
1: Yeah. And as you see, our board gives us, they have a medium credit risk. That means we need to say yes a little more, and we need to lower our guidelines a little more. And then, if we have some more losses, that's okay. This is what our board directed us to do. And guess what? We were to help. We were able to help more members.
0: That's really great that they took that initiative and spoke up and was able to have a great conversation. You got good results out of the board regarding how much risk they're willing to take. So that's yep. really great.
1: And now this summer, I'm actually prepping for. The third refresh of this. So we went through this exercise in 2016. We went through it again in 2018. We went through it again in 2020. That was, that was interesting because it was the summer three months after the pandemic started. And so risk was on their minds in ways that it hadn't been two years ago. Right now, here we are two years later, we're refreshing it again. It gives, we have new board members. We have turnover in the board. You've got changes that happen in your environment and in your business, in your operating environment in your business. So we want to make sure that our appetite for risk and the way that we socialize that across the organization is consistent and current. And so that's the, that's really the purpose of doing the refresh every couple of years is to make sure that we're not off base with what we're interpreting as their sentiment around appetite for risk.
0: That's great. And I heard you mention you have questions specific for each of your categories. So that mm-hmm. is that the activity that drives the refresh every year is the set of questions and the discussion that comes after that?
1: That's exactly right. And so what we do is like this month, for example, my boss is going to mention at the end of the board meeting, hey, heads up, in the next couple of weeks, you're going to get surveys. Remember, we do this exercise every two years. We you to take some time to go through the surveys, answer the questions. The faster you answer, the more accurate they generally are. We don't want you to linger on them. And then we'll aggregate all that information and get back in front of them a couple months later and say, hey, here's what we're seeing are the differences between what were we were told two years ago and what we're being told now, it makes, it makes this X, Y, and Z difference with regard to the risk appetite. Here's what we propose to change the risk appetite statement to to best reflect what your sentiment is. What questions and discussion do you have around that? We get those approved at that time, and then we publish them as new appetite guidelines. That's the great. next step after that is to take those guidelines and parlay those into a quarterly deliverable to the board. And so we have a risk dashboard that we provide to them on a quarterly basis. And there are individual metrics representing each risk category that go directly back to those risk appetite guidelines. Mm-hmm. And there's critical measures that speak to those metrics. Each one of the risk owners in the, in the risk management committee provides that data and we give them a dashboard on a quarterly basis that shows them where we are performing with the critical measures we've all agreed to compared to their established appetite for risk.
0: That's great. That's really powerful. So, a lot of times when you hear about the metrics that would be in a dashboard and you're having a conversation about risk appetite, sometimes we call those tolerance metrics. Do you use the word tolerance much? Do you use risk appetite and tolerance or is everything under the kind of appetite umbrella?
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good question. So in some, sometimes this becomes a semantic argument. I, I was taught that there's a difference between a tolerance and appetite. An appetite is more of a general statement. A is A tolerance is really a line in the sand as to what you'll put up with. And we haven't gotten to the, okay, let me back up just a little bit. The other difference I see between the two is appetite is squishy and subjective potentially and tolerance is quantifiable. Yeah. Metric. Okay. And so I want the board to give me their sentiment. Okay. And then I want them to trust me to interpret that appropriately. Okay. Okay. But I also want there to be some guidelines in there for me to follow not hard lines because then what do you do it's kind of like having a concentration policy that that you can't adjust on the fly as you need to so we need to have the latitude to run our business but we need to have a general sense of what level of risk yeah. they're comfortable with yeah. now one of the things that we talked about and we continue to talk about is establish, is establishing tolerances and at what point it makes sense to do that so that's from a program evolution and maturity standpoint we're not quite there yet hmm. but the first big step is establishing appetite establishing the governance piece with the quarterly reporting and then continuing to double down on that across the organization so that everybody understands the value it provides. And we all continue to build that muscle if you will. Yeah.
0: yeah, that's good thanks for talking about risk appetite. That's something that takes takes years to mature. it takes years for it to be effective and it's just a long journey and it sounds like you and the credit union have done a very good job with your board to get to where you're at now and you're at a pretty good maturity level. so congratulations. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thanks. And it's a never ending process. We're continuing to work on it.
0: Yeah. And the other thing about risk appetite and tolerance, it sounds like you're on a, you have a similar take on it as I do, which risk appetite is that sentiment and the tolerances are those factors that help you implement the risk appetite appropriately. So again, the board's giving you their sentiment and you're using the tolerances as ways to manage that appetite level. So that's that's an interesting Um, way to look at it.
1: Yeah. And the other thing I would say about tolerance is the way our dashboard is set up, it's very simple and high level. They give us sync appetite statements and then each risk owner credit risk, for example, there are two metrics that they use or are around approval ratios. And then I think there's something related to pull through or something like that with regard to loan approval. There's loan approvals and there's something else, but it has to do with operational metrics. I can't think of them around the top of my head, David, sorry, but it has to do with operational metrics that they manage to as lenders. And so then we take, you take a target for that and you establish, okay, between this and this is you know, green, between this and this is yellow, between this and this is red. And as long as we're staying in the range that we want to stay in and we're trending in the right way. And the board
0: allows us that latitude. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's a way to... That's great monitoring and it helps with decision-making and you know you're on the cusp of having to make a decision or not. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Any other kind of strengths or anything you want to share there? So we use a GRC software solution. What I'll say about that is software is not going to solve your problems.
1: It's just going to enable you to run your program. So don't get the idea that having software is just going to be this magic thing where like, no, we have an ERM program. Yeah. Great advice. It, Thank you for sharing that. It helps grease the wheels and it takes a lot of the manual work out of the process, but it also enables you to do things very quickly so that you can be a little bit more pre- proactive or react quickly. One of the things that we're able to do now is, is to launch risk assessments really quickly. If something happens and we need to understand what our institutional risk posture is quickly, we can do that. An example that everybody should be able to relate to right now is the Russia-Ukraine crisis. How is that going to affect us? How could that potentially affect us? And so we were able to launch a quick Risk assessment using our software that had out of the box risks already populated in it, so we're not having to imagine the universe as we go through this and push that out to the committee and let everybody chime in from the various perspectives on what's the likelihood of this happening, yeah. what might the impact around this be, and what what reasonable controls are in place. What don't we know, essentially? What don't we know? And not surprisingly, the main things that rose to the surf rose to the surface on that one were around cybersecurity risk.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, thanks for uh, for sharing your view of the software and how it helps you to launch fast and how it's automating the things that used to take time. So that's a great example of where the software is appropriate to help the program.
1: Yeah. And it's, it just makes life easier. Mm -hmm
0: that's what you want. That's what, that's what, that's what the automation is for. I appreciate learning about your ERM program and the things you've gone through. Of course, that doesn't mean there's not big challenges. So can you talk to us about some big challenges you've had to deal with in building your program and how you've addressed those?
1: Yeah. So enterprise risk management, while exciting to me, isn't the sexiest thing in the world to a lot of people, especially people who are, who are in who are in highly operational areas and they're accustomed to operational roles. And what's a challenge is keeping this in mind, keeping risk appetite in mind as as line of business leaders, as they run their business. When our board tells us that they're comfortable with a medium level of risk in certain areas, I don't want the line of business leaders looking at something and going, we can't take risk in this area. I want them to look at that and say, hey, let's take some risk in this area. We're being empowered to do so. Most of us are just, again, conservative by nature as a function of credit union employees. And that is done That has done a world of good for our industry. The fact that we're conservatives kept us out of a lot of trouble over the years, especially as you think about everything that happened during the Great Recession and the things that all the consolidation of the industry that's occurred over the last 10 years. It's because of, of how risk averse our business has been. But those days are over with and we have to compete. And in order to compete, you have to take a little bit of risk. And people tend to forget that we are in the risk taking business, whether it feels like that or not. And socializing this out to the organization on a regular basis to the point where it becomes a muscle that's just automatic, that's a little bit of a challenge. We still see leaders with tons of operational experience and expertise being extremely conservative in their risk-taking. And the biggest fear I think most people have from a risk management standpoint is that you're going to have some rogue out there who's doing stuff that's outside of the bounds of what you want them to do, and it's creating risk for your organization. And that absolutely happens. Mostly materializes on the compliance side. But the bigger risk I see, pardon the pun, I'm talking about risk, but the bigger risk I see is not embracing risk in the ways that it can present opportunities to you.
0: Yeah.
1: And so that's, a, that's an ongoing challenge. And whenever I speak to line of business leaders across the organization about a variety of things, compliance being one of the main ones, it's, hey, guys, we don't have a zero appetite for compliance risk. Yeah. If this is going to help our members and we feel comfortable with it, let's do it.
0: Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Thank you, Wilkes, for sharing that. I like how it ties into risk appetite, because that's a great way to have the conversation with your managers and staff. And it makes me think about risk culture as well. Do you talk about these things in terms of risk culture or that's just how you're operating? It's not really part of culture.
1: It's not necessarily part of our culture. At some point, it will become a part of our culture. You hear people talk about a culture of compliance or a culture of risk management. And while it's really hard to get that into the, into the forefront of all of our staff's mind, as we continue to do this work and as we continue to reinforce it, it does start to become part of the fabric of how we operate. And culture is a funny thing.
0: You can't flip a switch and have something be or not be part of culture. It just evolves over time. Yeah, it does. And then there's some things you can do to try and nudge it in the right direction. And uh, it sounds like what you're doing with risk appetite and promoting the ability to take on risk is definitely that nudge to affect culture in a positive way. Yeah. Yeah,
1: it's, I enjoy doing this. It's not the easiest job in the world. It's not the top line item on people's priorities when they go to work every day, but there's nobody else who's willing to jump in and do this, you know, and it ends up falling on people inadvertently. Yeah.
0: But man, there's a
1: lot There's a lot to learn and there's a lot of value to be added by doing this work.
0: Yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, a lot of value to be added. So is there anything else about DRM program or the credit union that you want to share at this point?
1: I guess the one thing that I would say, what I'm particularly proud of with our program at this point, besides the little things that we've been able to stand up and run, is that we really aren't seeing risk as this highly reactive thing anymore. We really are trying to see it as an emerging Thing that proactivity helps us wrap our arms. We have developed a good muscle for managing known risk, which is, again, a work in process, and it never there's no finishing that. But we also are actively looking to be proactive. A really good example of that that I can think of is climate change. We have a, an annual process of going through a climate change risk assessment that we stood up a couple of years ago. And so we're trying to just look at this emerging risk and understand what is it going to mean for our business, This year, next year, five years from now, as we start moving from the kind of business continuity pieces of that, which are just the kind of keeping the wheels turning over to the transition pieces of that, which is around what investments are we making in the future and what our our cars and our motor pool are going to be electric moving forward, or our new facilities are going to be building, what sort of infrastructure is going to go into that? How does that affect us from a cost standpoint? Or, Or are our buildings going to be leads? You know, lead certified green buildings, which comes with a tremendous increase in cost. All those things start to come into play. Another one, another good example of that emerging kind of risk mentality is the environmental, social and governance standards that are starting to show up in various industries. I just saw a proposed rule from the SEC on ESG reporting standards for, for investment companies. Doesn't affect us directly, but that's a signal that it's coming. We've also seen some municipalities starting to push out rules on their state chartered organizations. There's news from around the globe on various countries that are requiring as part of financial disclosures, carbon offsets, what sort of sustainable and green investments are you making, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And DEI comes into this as well as all the various governance pieces. So taking a holistic look at that and trying to understand what does that mean for us? How do we get in front of that before it turns into a regulation that we have to react?
0: to? Yeah, that's great that you're addressing those things, that those things definitely need to be addressed. And to your point about regulations around the world, I see that in Europe, they have the Climate-Related Financial Disclosure Act. I think that went into effect actually this month. Do you pay attention to those things? Because those tend to be precursors of what happens here.
1: Yeah, we absolutely do, because those are signals for what's coming for us. One of the things that I presented to ERM last month was our governor, I'm in the state of Washington, as you all know, and our governor just released their budget for this fiscal year coming up. And there's $690 million a year marked for climate change. and understanding where all that's going and how that's going to trickle down into our business and in our sector. Yeah, we absolutely keep up with that to try to understand what this means for us and what posture do we need to be taking moving forward to best equip ourselves to, to be able to respond to it.
0: Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that positive approach and that approach to the emerging risks, DEI, ESG, climate change. Yeah, there's a lot coming is such a moving target, such yeah. a moving target.
1: So, you know, that's challenging work. That's not challenging from a program standpoint. It's just challenging from a yeah. figuring it out as you go. There's really yeah. no roadmap for this stuff. And we can look to some of the bigger players and some of the other industries to see where this is probably
0: going. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. Good advice. Speaking of advice, do you have any advice for our listeners who might be building their first ERM program or just struggling with their enterprise risk management program? I think advice from you would be very helpful.
1: Okay. I guess I guess the one thing I would say is just do what you can to get a seat at the table, whether that be the senior team or the one of the leadership teams. And a great way to do that is to demonstrate how effective risk management can drive business value. Instead of simply checking a box for our examiners or regulators or for the supervisory committee because they're asking or whoever else might be interested, just understanding, hey, we're leaving opportunity on the table. And if you articulate it in those terms, if we sit back and perform this exercise. It's going to illuminate some opportunity that we just can't see based on our operational experience alone. Yeah, and so That's that. Great. So if you can if you can show where you can drive a little bit of value by going through the motions, and then you're getting noise from the outside, other credit unions, regulators, the regulatory environment that that erm is coming. Leverage that.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think after you've established that you're able to do that, it of course becomes easier to get the seat at the table and to get invited. But to get there in the first place, I assume you have to come forward with a positive attitude about risk and talk about risk appetite and say, we might be leaving something on the table. Let's dive into this. Let's see how we can help you be more successful, whether you're a business line or a function. Is that how you have to get to that trust level at some point? Can you shed any light on that? Yeah. And it's about establishing trust. And
1: I think most credit unions will relate to this. A lot of times things are born out of something bad happening. An examiner comes in and says, X, Y, Z is not right. You need this. Yeah. So that, cre- that usually is what opens the door to these things is somebody's forcing the issue, whether the business leaders want to do it or not, and it's in place. So once that opportunity, once that door is open, that's when you have to go, okay, we have to do this. Everybody knows we have to do this. What we may even be begrudgingly doing. And as you go through that process, take that opportunity to go, Hey, by the way, check this out. Yeah. We're leaving opportunity on the table. Let's leverage this resource.
0: Well, that's great. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for sharing the fact that a lot of times these things do happen because there's an incident or a finding or something like that, that triggers it, but you got to take advantage of those when you can.
1: Yeah. And so most people would never consider an exam finding an
0: opportunity, but. (laughs) Yes. Thanks again, Wilkes. This has been a lot of fun. So. How can people get a hold of you if they want to reach out and have any follow up questions?
1: Yeah, I'm available to anybody who wants to talk to me about risk management. This is something that's near and dear to my heart, something that I enjoy discussing. Every single interaction I have with one of my peers, I learn from. And so feel free to email me directly. My email address is whardin, and that's H A R D I N, at org. So Washington State Employees Credit Union.org, WSECU.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much, Wilkes. It's been uh, very fun and informative, and uh, perhaps we can have you back after a little bit of time passes to get an update. How does that sound?
1: That sounds great. I really appreciate you taking a few minutes to pick my brain about my experiences around this. I love this stuff and I look forward to any feedback and anything else that comes up as a result of as a result
0: of this. Any feedback I get or any questions I get, I look forward to it. Yeah, that's great. The pleasures all ours. We appreciate learning from you, so thanks for the time. Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thanks, David. Yeah. And to our listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of ERM Perspectives and we'll see you again next time. Bye for now. That's all for today's ERM Perspectives. If you enjoyed the show and heard something useful, please do your friends and colleagues a favor and share this podcast with them. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next one. Please contact me if you'd like to be a guest on this show or if I can help you or someone you know. I'm David Seibert. And you can find me on LinkedIn or at my website, davidcybertconsulting.com.